Welcome to Highland Football Weekly with Ian Auld. Episode 14 this week is slightly different. We've always spoken to ex-footballers and managers. But here's someone who hails from the Highland. He's Invergordon's finest, has amassed a near 40-year career covering some of the biggest games in Scottish football. He's been to three World Cups, European finals, title deciders, and he's got some cracking stories as well. Rob McLean, the voice of BBC Scotland, and indeed in more recent times, BT Sport. As I said, he hails from Invergordon, big Ross County fan, so ticks the box in terms of association with Highland football. It's a real good listen, lots of good stories in there as well, so sit back and enjoy episode 14 with Rob McLean. Rob McLean, welcome to the podcast. First of all, how are you during lockdown? I'm okay, Ian. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I stay, I stay sort of out of town, just north of Glasgow, um, in the countryside, really. And being an Invergordon boy uh, originally, that sort of comes naturally to me. So it's it's a good place to be. I feel really fortunate at the moment because I really feel for people. Um, I, I know, I know you've, I know you've got a few kids buzzing around there, but. I feel I feel for people who are you know in in flats and apartments and mm. in town and cities where they can't get out and all that sort of stuff because just getting a release at the moment is really important and I'm fortunate that I stay sort of in the in the countryside and, and I'm able to clear my head with some nice walks just you know just where I stay so uh, I feel I feel lucky in in that respect so yeah I'm I'm fine hopefully you are too yeah good um, we are recording this at the moment. By the time this podcast comes out, it might be slightly dated. I was going to say that a release for most folk that will be listening to this is football. Now, we will be talking football at some stage, but at the moment, a release is not Scottish football because Scottish football seems to be, once again, in meltdown mode, as it always is. So we'll try and avoid that. We'll try and talk about Scottish football of old because Scottish football at the moment is... uh, That's crazy, isn't it? It's pretty embarrassing at the moment, really. That um, I, I just think there, there's a big, there, there, you know, it's fairly obvious thing to say, but there's a big picture here, mm-hmm. and for football clubs to be thinking about themselves, I mean, that's that's just and sadly and tragically the way it is in Scottish football, and, and you know, maybe further afield as well. But we we see it because we're so close to it. I guess that clubs are looking out for themselves all the time. This is a time where clubs could be doing going down the tubes where effectively Scottish football could be doing going down the tubes if we're not careful just because of what is happening uh, economically and all the rest of it um, and I, I just find it really sad that uh, so many people can't see further than the end of their nose and they're looking after themselves and not really seeing the fact that there are bigger issues that play here I mean you know if you're talking Scottish football, then you've got to be looking at the whole game, I think, at the moment, and it's survival and, and the ability to flourish again when, when all this is over. But but even, even you know, take, let's take football out of the equation. Does it really matter at the moment when so many people are getting ill and dying around the world and we don't really know what's happening next? Um, I find a lot of the stuff that's being said and done at the moment is, is really sad, really disappointing. Yeah, I think everyone knows that um, in previous podcasts I've nailed my colours to the mast, I'm a Hearts fan, 
And you know what? At the same time, yes, it would be hellish for Hearts to get relegated at this stage of the season or whatever. But do you know what? In the bigger picture, it doesn't really matter. You know, no, there's, there's more no. important things out there. Um, yeah, and I, mean, I think, and I think this is, and I think this is a time because of what's going on. I think it's the time to have just a blank sheet of paper and say, right, what is the best way forward here? And I don't think we know that yet because we don't know when we're coming out of this. Yeah. But you know, we have, we have to look at the best way forward. The best way forward is not relegating the likes of Hearts and Partick Thistle uh, who are already in, I'm trying to find the right phrase that I can possibly use on this, in deep trouble <laughs> at the moment. You know, and you know, I think we just need to protect all our clubs as much as we can. I mean, that's probably going to be impossible because there are going to be some that are going to fall by the wayside in all of this, I would have thought. But if we can, let's help clubs to survive and continue uh, clubs with rich histories like the two I've just mentioned, especially you know your one. Uh, you know why are we th- even contemplating relegating Hearts and making an already difficult situation even worse? I don't know. Who knows? And as I said, by the time this podcast comes out, it might be a forty-two team all-in. Let's go battle royale. Who knows? Rob, you mentioned uh, at the very start there, and this is where the Highland link comes in. You're Invergordon born and bred, growing up in Invergordon. Um, sport, football, because I know that you're into your golf as well. Did that form a, yeah. a big part of your life growing up? Yeah, I, I lived in Invergordon. I lived next to what was then the Nine Hole Golf Course. And my dad was a keen golfer and uh, we just stayed in a council house just about 100 yards away from the, the place. So, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of my time on the golf course. But, I mean, football was my football was my first love. Um, and played at school. Used to play for the school in the morning, then go and watch Ross County in Dingwall in the Highland League, as they were at the time in the afternoon. And um, later on, played like in the amateur, the Dingwall and District Amateur League and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was a, I was a sport nut. I mean, I, I you know, I, 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 I could have spent a bit more time on other pursuits in terms of my schooling, but. Um, you know, I, yeah, I loved my, I loved my football, uh, both playing it and watching it at that stage. Yeah, good memories of uh, you said there. You're obviously a Ross County fan now. I always felt so, I feel sorry for guys, especially in the central belt media, because I'm sure you've been accused of being a Rangers fan, a Celtic fan, a whatever oh. fan at some point. But you nailed your colours to the mast. You're a Ross County fan. Uh, good memories of watching them growing up. Who were your kind of uh, your main heroes growing up in that Ross County side? Well, I, I suppose I, you know. I, I mean, these these are probably names that that go way beyond you. Um, but I mean, I, I used to I, I playing golf and forgotten. I, I played golf with people like Sandy McKenzie and Jim Hosey and people like that. Uh, Ian McNeil, you know, some some guys that go back a long way into the history of of, of Ross County. Um, Alan, I mean, I remember watching likes of Alan Gray played up front. Jim Savage played on the wing for Ross County. Jim Symington. Um, I mean. I'm actually trying to remember how good Ross County were. I mean, you know, they weren't they weren't winning the league in those days. They weren't they weren't that good in the Highland League. But there were some great games when they played Elgin City or when they played Cali, Inverness Cali, Inverness Thistle, Inverness Clach. These were all massive matches, and I just remember the atmosphere was great, and um, it was you know it was it was a f- fun place to be, and and it's great. You know, it's, it's it, obviously it's been really exciting and crazy and ridiculous what Ross County have done since. The, the fact that they've gone from a league team to a team that's won a major trophy in Scottish football and has sort of 
embedded itself in the in the Scottish Premiership, and um, you know it, it's 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 just amazing. And you know, for a for a town that has only five thousand of a population, I mean, it's it's a crazy story. It's a sort of football fairy tale, but yeah, it's f- fantastic. It's been great to be involved in, it. and one probably one of my my great football memories of all time will be presenting sports scene from Hamden when Ross County beat Celtic in the Scottish Cup semi-finals and I was the guy that had to interview Neil Lennon afterwards and um, he was uh, distraught, he just ranted at the players clearly taking the paint off the dressing room walls I think uh, with his rant <laughs> to, the, to the Celtic players afterwards and uh, here was me a Ross County fan trying to keep a smile off my face, interview him he was about to murder somebody uh, but, but I mean, fair play to him. He was brilliant. He gave a brilliant interview. Uh, he destroyed the Celtic players. But you know, overriding everything from my point of view, and even from a neutral point of view as well, was this incredible uh, match that had played out. And although the final was a bit of an anticlimax, following on from that, yeah. I mean, that was that was that was County's Cup final was beating Celtic. I mean, it just should not have happened. And amazingly, it did. Yeah, skipping ahead a bit. You know, did you take great pride in seeing, you know, Ross County aside who you followed from a very early age, um, to then, you know, being this top flight side, you know, most of your colleagues, I'm assuming later on in life that you worked with when they asked, Who do you follow? and you said, Well, Ross County and they must have gone, Really? And then now when they, they reach the big time, you know, you can turn around and proudly say, Well, I'm a Ross County man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I mean people when, I mean people even now when I say when they say who when A, they don't believe me uh, when I say we support, and, and B, when I say Ross County, they, they say, all right, so you don't like football very much then, you know. <laughs> and, and as you were saying earlier on, people, you know, especially where I live and, and work mainly around Glasgow, people want to tie you down to being one or t'other. They, you know, you've got to be Celtic or you've got to be Rangers, and if, if you don't admit to one of those, then they don't really believe you. Um, but for me... Yeah, I mean Ross County, you know, have a, have a place in my heart, and you know, it's just, it's it's been just fantastic to see what they've done. And obviously, Roy McGregor takes a, a lot of credit for that. They've had some great players and some great managers over the years since they've become a senior football team. But I mean, the one constant has been Roy McGregor, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he's done an amazing job. And, and they're a club that is really in touch with the community as well. I, I just love the way he's done it. I think he deserves so much credit. Absolutely, you're right. Your career-wise, late seventies, you start working for the Highland News Group, a, a paper and a and a, a group, of course, the Highland News, Inverness Courier, Rosshire Journal, North Star. There's other titles across the, the the patch as well. Still very much in operation as well. Uh, going in there, was that a, a news capacity or sport capacity? No, it was news. I mean, I, I think uh, myself and. Um, Isabel Fraser, who still works on BBC uh, Radio Scotland, she and I were were sort of taken on as uh, school leaver trainees by the Highland News Group and uh, went to Newcastle for six months, which was absolutely brilliant. We had a great time down there, <laughs> learning the learning the ropes of journalism and, and learning the social niceties or non niceties in Newcastle as well. It was that was a great time. Um, and then went back up and yeah, a lot of my time was working with the North Star in Dingwall. Um, and one of the benefits of that was that when I was writing up or editing the uh, amateur football reports, um, I could, if I'd scored 
one goal for Allness against Mary, but I, I maybe just t- tarted that up a wee bit and made it a hat trick. Uh, so sometimes what appeared in the reports of the amateur football and the North Star war- weren't entirely accurate. I just I bigged myself up a wee bit. <laughs> why? Why? Why not? Good memories. I mean, I'm sure. Like I say, the titles are still in operation as well. They're still going. They're still beating strong, despite you know everything that's been said about print media. Good memories of working there because I'm assuming was to be in the kind of heyday of of uh, the Highland News Group. Yeah, Willie Wilson was the was the editor in chief. He was a great character, a great writer, really popular guy. Everybody knew him. Um, yeah, I mean it, th- those those were really special times. So, uh, and I learnt a lot. Um, and but I mean what what my six months in Newcastle did for me was just give me itchy feet, and it was so busy and lively and. I, getting stuff in the paper down in Newcastle and that gave me a real hunger appetite for the journalism yeah I was a, I was a uh, just a news reporter just doing everything and anything at that stage and I guess once I'd stayed as long as I had to stay in the north I, I, I kind of wanted a bit more wanted to to sort of move on and I, I left I, I, I and myself which is left for Aberdeen and Aberdeen doesn't really seem to most people like the bright lights, but when you come from Invergordon, it definitely did uh, seem like a quite exciting place to go. So that, that's where I went, and I did a variety of sort of uh, jobs, like driving a laundrette van for a company who I managed to convince that I knew my way around Aberdeen, even though I'd never been there before. Um, so did a bit of that and various other sort of temp jobs until I, I got a job with a news agency, a freelance news agency in Aberdeen, and that was... That was again mainly doing new stuff, uh, selling whatever the big story in the northeast was around all the newspapers, radio, television. So that that was I was there two years doing that. That was that was a great experience, and it also had me in Aberdeen when North Sound Radio started in mm-hmm. 1981. So you know my my timing was good in that regard. North Sound Radio, um, another big name in North Media. Still, still going very strong at this time as well. And you mentioned timing as well. Nineteen eighty-one, they started, and what a time to be in Aberdeen, especially when it comes to sport and football, because that was, well, Aberdeen were reaching a peak in terms of their on-field achievements. What a time to be in Aberdeen and covering Aberdeen Football Club. It couldn't have been better, Ian. Um, June eighty-one, walked into the newsroom as a reporter. Um, I think I doubled my salary or something like that. It was, you know, maybe it doesn't seem like a lot of money now what it was then, but but I doubled it. So that mm. it was, I was that was exciting enough in itself. But the, the walked into the newsroom and the, the head of news guy said, um, "Right, who likes football?" And I put my hand up and he said, "Right, you're the commentator." And that was it. That, the, there was no job interview for. So he said, "So my first match, having started in June, was September. I think it was. Aberdeen played Ipswich." At Portman Road, Ipswich had won the UEFA Cup the season before, uh, so Aberdeen drew with them 1-1 away, beat them 3-2 at Pataudry, that was the night that Peter Weir destroyed Mick Mills, uh, that was a, a, a sort of famous result, and basically that was the start of Aberdeen on this amazing uh, climb to prominence in European football, uh, so it was so fortunate that I was in at the start of that, and I mean, my passport just became battered and bruised because it was because I was travelling around Europe so much, going to places, going to countries I'd never heard of before. I was just a kid, really, um, learning my trade. Um, so you know, they, so they had that great season in eighty one. 
bit better in eighty two, and then of course in eighty three in Gothenburg they won the damn thing. They won they won the European Cup Winners Cup, reached the semi final the following season as well. And it was you know it was just that time. It was the eighties. I was so lucky to be there because Fergie was there, and Aberdeen had this magical team uh, that we'll never see the likes of again. You mentioned nineteen eighty three there, of course Aberdeen fans. Well, a great night, a fantastic night for Aberdeen and Scottish football as well because we'd had Celtic and Rangers winning European titles, now it was Aberdeen's turn. You commentated uh, on that cup final, uh, Aberdeen versus Real Madrid in Gothenburg. Talk to us about your your experiences and your memories because, like you say, you'd only been in the the job two years, two, three years, and and there you are commentating on a a European Cup final. That must have been an amazing achievement for yourself. Talk to us about your memories of that night. Yeah, I mean, just absolutely incredible. I mean, I, it was it was it was the most god awful night weather weather wise. It was it was absolutely tipping it down with rain. It just never stopped all night long. So the pitch was got really muddy. Um, Real Madrid were not Real Madrid now, but you know they were still one of the big teams in European football. Um, and for for Aberdeen to beat them. Um, and it was, it's a bit like going back to what I was saying about Ross County beating Celtic in the Scottish Cup semi-finals. It, you know, it was that sort of result that shouldn't really happen. Um, but no, it was just—it was incredible. It was—it was just a, a remarkable night. My, my co-commentator, funnily enough, I, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a name that means anything to you, Ian, but uh, my co-commentator that night was Richard Park. Uh, oh yes, it was a big—it uh-huh. was, was a big name at Radio Clyde. But he, obviously, since then, he was yeah, he was the headmaster of yeah. Fame, Fame Academy. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and basically, that night, North End, so North End did the mat, covered the match. But it went out on all the all six independent radio stations around Scotland, so okay. everyone was part of it. Radio Clyde wanted to have their stamp on it as well because they were the biggest of the radio stations. Mm-hmm. So I was I was commentating and Richard Park was co-commentating alongside me. So that that was kind of quite quite strange um, uh, to think that he was he was doing it as well. But no, it was it was it was just amazing. And and then, and then there was the whole comeback to Aberdeen, the open top bus. Going through the streets, um, hundred thousand people, I think, were on Union Street in Aberdeen to welcome them back, and the, the whole thing, the whole thing was just crazy. I mean, at one point, I mean, I was, I was in the, I was in the sort of radio car which was behind the open top bus, painting all the pictures, describing the whole thing, and then eventually, because there were so many people, it just ground to a halt, and I got out and just started speaking to some of the punters because there was nothing else to say other than what I'd said already. And so we were live, so I was obviously having to pick and choose who I was speaking to. And then, um, so I'd spoken to a few people, and I, I saw this little girl, she must have been about 10 or 12, and I said to her, uh, what's your name? She said, Mary Ann, and I, where are you from? Kitty Brewster, which is an area of Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I said, uh, who's your favourite player? She said, Gordon Strachan. And I said, oh, why's that? And she looked at me and she said, because he's effing fantastic, <laughs> and this this went out this went out live on air, so my career almost ended there and then. But no, that that that, that was special. The, the game, the comeback, you know, to Aberdeen, the the celebrations. It was it was unbelievable. You know, it, it becomes all the more remarkable and uh, such a massive achievement. The more you look back on it, the more the years click by. Yeah, I, I doubt. Well, I hope we do, but I, I highly doubt it. That we'll see scenes like that again. You know, a, a Scottish club outside the old firm going and winning uh, major trophies in Europe. No, 
definitely not. And I mean, I think it's a, it's become a bit of a millstone around Aberdeen's neck, really, isn't it? Because um, the Aberdeen fans will obviously never forget about what happened, even though some of them didn't live through it. But um, all the Aberdeen teams since have probably been compared with that one, which is unfair because that was a special collection of players and, more importantly, a special manager mm-hmm. uh, who managed to, to, to do that. And yeah, I mean, I, I think the days of Scottish teams winning... Uh, a European trophy are unfortunately long gone. I mean, uh, you know, Rangers and Celtic have made a little bit of progress in in recent years, but uh, they ain't going to be winning any of, the, any of these anytime soon. You mentioned the manager there, of course, Sir Alex Ferguson. We had uh, Brian Irvin on a few weeks ago, and he talked to us about his admiration of Sir Alex Ferguson. He worked with him for a season and just talked to us about how great he was as a man manager. There's been so many uh, famous stories over the years of Alex Ferguson against journalists. What was your experiences working alongside the great Sir Alex Ferguson? I guess I probably interviewed him every week for about four or five years. Um, so I got to know him quite well. Um, but he he played people really well. He... You know, he obviously kept the players on edge. That that was just what he did. Uh, he worked them really well. He was a smart man. Still is a smart man. Um, and with with me, what my what my memory of him is that I would go down maybe on a Friday lunchtime to interview him. And if they'd had a good result in the midweek or the weekend before, or whatever, I would think right, he's going to be in good form here. Um, and um, so I'd walk in, and he would say. What the fuck are you want? <laughs> he would grunt. He would grunt. He would grunt at me, and uh, and I would immediately be on edge. And you know, it was he was playing a game with me. He was putting pressure on me, sort of thing. But the opposite happened as well because there were times where they'd had a bad result. It didn't happen very often in this time there, but they'd, if they'd had a bad result, and I would go and think, no, no, what's happening here? And he'd put his arm around me and he said, "Come on, Rob, sit down, have a cup of tea. I'll meet you." You know, you know. So, you, so you never quite knew how you were going to find them, but. I, I mean, he was just—he was brilliant. I, I, I loved, you know, he had a presence, he had an aura about him. Um, and even when I subsequently saw him a couple of times, maybe I was doing a, a commentating for much of the day, and I was at Old Trafford or whatever, and he would, you know, just give me a big hug, and you know, he never kind of, you know, he'd no reason to remember who I was, but but he never forgot who I was, and 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 I think that's probably a mark of the man that. I think he just knew how to deal with people really well and that was one of the big secrets of his success Any I was going to say hair dryer but I suppose that's mainly reserved for the players but any unpleasant exchanges with Sir Alex? Um, not, 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 not particularly not, you know, I think he was I found him pretty fair but, yeah. but you know, he, he was you know, he was a stormy individual I and mean, it was a much more mellow version of Fergie that was later with Man United achieving all the success he did with them but I, I do remember that at one point Northside were using Joe Harper the Aberdeen legend mm-hmm. as uh, as a pundit and he was you know he, Joe was great because he just said what he thought but sometimes what he thought was not what Fergie thought he should have thought <laughs> and um, so at one point you know, I, I, we were banned, I think, briefly um, because we used Joe Harper because he didn't like 
what he was saying. Um, he had a fairly colourful description of uh, what Joe Harper was all about. Uh, I don't think he, he agreed with his opinions too much. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, there was the one thing was for sure if Fergie wasn't happy with you, you knew about it, that's for sure. But, you know, I, I think he realised the importance of local media and us all getting on together and there wasn't really a reason to fall out at that stage because everything was going so well for Aberdeen Yeah and that's the thing I mean as a reporter having well let's say on a more a lesser scale of you know covered Ross County when they reached the Scottish Cup final and Cali Thistle winning leagues etc you, you almost get caught up with the team and you almost yeah, it's a cheesy expression but you almost feel part of the team because you're you're there you're you're covering them you're experiencing the the highs it's an incredible feeling when you're when you're working so close to a side that are doing great stuff and and you must have felt like you know part of that at Aberdeen as well yeah i mean i used to i mean i used to socialize with some of the aberdeen players you know they kind of went to the same sort of night spots in aberdeen that i went to and <laughs> so you saw them and you had a drink with them and you you knew them away from the football club and you were there so often anyway they, you were there interviewing them so much that you became kind of friendly with them um, and somebody like Willie Miller I'm still friendly with because I you know I still work with him for BBC of course um, so yeah I mean you, you had that and I think that, that was a, it was a different age as well and, and, and I think people players are much more protected now and everything it has to be dealt with through the communications team and blah 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 all that sort of stuff there are layers that you have to get through whereas those in those days you know you you just picked up your phone and spoke to a player or you met him in the pub you know on a wednesday night or whatever um it's 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 all changed as the 80s progress so does your career as well you end up working for the bbc then you join stv um i think it's stv um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the 1990 World Cup comes up. You're covering the 1990 World Cup. Well, I, th- I suppose the first question: um, What's it like going to a World Cup finals? Oh, God, I wish I could remember you. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, because there was a time where we thought it just happened um, yeah. every every two years. It was the European Championships, and another two, and it was the World Cup. And uh, stupidly, we took it for granted and thought it was never going to end. And unfortunately, it did in 1998. But no, that 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 World Cup in 1990. Uh, yeah, I was working for STV. Um, I was that was the sports presenter on their Tea Time News Scotland Today. It was called then mm-hmm. their their Tea Time News show. So I, I was out there, and it was just so exciting, so glamorous. That it, you know, in Italy, that we were, you know, just staying in a nice area of the country. We had an absolute ball. Um, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was just really, really special. We haven't been there for, well, since nineteen ninety eight. Like you say, I mean, Italia ninety has that nostalgia feel about it. I know that English football fans will remember Italia ninety for a very different reason, but. Um, Still, Scotland were there. Scotland versus Brazil. There's just so much feel-good factor from that that World Cup. What was it like for yourself covering and reporting on that World Cup? Yeah, just um, just a privilege to be there. I mean, you know, you, you just try and drink it in sometimes, literally, um, <laughs> as, as you're going along. Um, uh, and it, you know, it's just. And I think it's at the time you're just working and you you know you're trying to churn the stuff out and. Um, 
you know, you've got a job to do. It's, it's maybe in reflection, you look back and say, whoa, boy, well, was I lucky to be there? Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was just amazing, you know, games in Genoa and Turin. And, um, Scotland are a right good team at that stage as well. Um, and you, those were the days where you were actually disappointed that Scotland didn't get through the group stages, didn't qualify for the latter stages of the, the tournament. Um, but a few, a few, few years down the line, as you say, and uh, we weren't even qualifying. Um, you know, we, we would, we would g- bite off anybody's hand who offered us qualification for for the World Cup or the European Championships now, because it's just proving so difficult to get there. So, yeah, they, these were all really special times, and um, you know, Scotland, the Scotland supporters were so loved wherever they went. That that um, you know, if if we had a team uh, as good as our supporters, you know, we'd we'd be at every major tournament. I'll come back to the World Cups because it's not your your last World Cup. You move on to to sports scene um, early nineties, uh, and you you you're back behind the the commentators, Mike. In the early nineties, Scottish football was a again a very different landscape. Um, Rangers were. Much similar to Celtic at the moment, pretty much um, dominating everything. But you're working for Sports Scene, first and foremost, working for a, a flagship programme like Sports Scene. What's that like? Amazing. Um, as a wee lad in Invergordon, uh, I would be, I'd have watched it on television. And if you'd said to me, by the way, you're going to be presenting that somewhere down the line, I would have said, yeah, you're kidding me on. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was just amazing because I mean w- what had happened was I'd I'd been a newsman obviously I'd done my, all my football stuff at North Sound mm-hmm. because that's what that's the way it went at that stage. Subsequent to that, I'd been a news reporter with the BBC on Reporting Scotland based in Aberdeen, um, and and it, but it was when I went to to STV that I'd started to specialise. Um, in sport and then I was only there for a couple of years and as you say 1990 covered the World Cup and then left which didn't go down too well but there was a lot of competition at that stage between STV and BBC a lot of people were being poached back and forth there was quite a lot of money flying around at that stage um, in that area which was good Um, and so I went back to the BBC this time doing sport and that, that was the start of a 14 year spell um with working with BBC Scotland doing a combination of presenting and commentating and of course Friday sports scene um was um was a sort of Friday night regular STV had a program as well there was a lot of competition between the two um Hazel Irvin and Chick Young were the two that I kind of worked alongside on Friday sports scene and that was a that was a really popular show those were those were great times I you know I just feel very fortunate have been doing what I've been doing right through my career and I've um, you know been doing the thing I love I've been covering the, the game I love mm-hmm. and you know I've been, I've been really lucky I've, now, I've, I've, ne- I've never done a, I've never done a real job in my life <laughs> <laughs> I don't make you I don't want to make you feel old but I mean for me growing up early 90s well, you, you mentioned Friday sports scene. I'd completely forgot about Friday sports scene. Friday sports scene was a real highlight on a Friday night. You had sports scene on the Saturday night, and then you had Scott Sport on the, the Sunday. I mean, it, ultimately, you're watching the same the same game, but it just seemed like a, oh, I suppose a, a bit of a, 
you could look back and see it was a golden age for, for Scottish football in terms of television coverage. You know, to have that amount of coverage. Slightly different nowadays, but when you look back on it, I mean that that was that was incredible to have two dedicated and like you say, the competition there between BBC and, and STV sports scene and Scott Sport, but to have two television shows dedicated to Scottish football on terrestrial television as well. Quite a quite a unique thing given the way that, that the landscape has changed in the media at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And and here's another one. I mean if you if you'd said at that point at that stage, um STV won't be making any sports programmes, you know, in, in mm-hmm. whatever 10, 15, 20 years time. Um, you'd have found that hard to believe because Scott Sport was such a mainstay and they were such STV was such a big player in in coverage of Scottish football. Uh, and they they faded out of that completely. But but then as you say, the whole landscape has changed. The way people get their television and the way they get their football coverage has changed dramatically and, and maybe it will change because of what's happening as we speak at the moment the, the whole coronavirus thing is going on and football has stopped and when it restarts when eventually it restarts again um, who knows how the intervening period will affect what happens what's happening with TV deals and, and just the way we consume our, our football coverage I mean it's changed dramatically to this stage and maybe it will maybe it's going to do so again Early 90s, as I say, you, you're working for Sports Scene, commentating on football. Talk to us about the the thrill of, of commentating and calling a, a football match. Um, I've done it a few times myself, but but only for, for MFR. But for yourself, working on a, a national show, the, the thrill, as you see, a football fan all your life. Talk to us about the, the thrill of, of calling a game. Yeah, I brought up in, in the whole... Um, atmosphere is what it's about. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I mean I, I commentate on the radio and I commentate for television, and they're obviously, in a sense, they're the same thing because you're describing a football match. But in another sense, they're completely opposite because when you're doing it for the radio, you're painting the whole picture, um, as you've done. Um, you know where you describe every cough and splutter because nobody can see anything. <laughs> on television, quite the opposite where people have the pictures so you don't have to tell them it's across from the right hand side and it's gone to the far post everyone sees that so so in television what you what you're doing is you're enhancing the pictures that people already have in front of them so um i think it's a real skill um sometimes people overdo it i think that's a mistake i think sometimes the simplest is the best um and no but it's been it's it's been great to do. I mean, I've been at some fantastic games and some fantastic tournaments, some fantastic events, um, and you you can you, you just kind of I, if you, as long as you do your preparation. Sometimes I get slagged off on the BBC because they reckon I haven't done any preparation at all. But as long as you've done your homework, you know you, you can just sit back and enjoy it and and let yourself be carried along on a on a sort of wave of emotion. In nineteen ninety seven, Jock Brown, who was the lead BBC commentator, he he leaves, he goes on to join Celtic. You're his replacement. First and foremost, when it's announced that you're his replacement, that must have been a, a personal uh, milestone and achievement in your life. Yeah, definitely. That was a that was a big moment. Um, but I suppose there have been loads of big moments, and I, and I suppose at that stage I was you know sort of climbing the ladder. Uh, and had been so and um, I, I just it didn't scare me at all but I, I, I was just 
just excited to do it. And the the more the, the bigger the match, the better, you know. And um, I just loved it. It was just kind of a case of bring it on, really. I want to talk to you about the your first Scottish Cup final for the BBC, nineteen ninety eight. Everyone, everyone, every football fan's got a favorite a favorite commentator's line. Mine's is one of yours, and it's Amaruso lets it run. <laughs> of course, Stefan Adam strolls through to make it two 0 Hearts go two 0 on front. They obviously win the Scottish Cup two one against Rangers. But uh, yeah, you know, do do you have do you have those you know those moments where where fans all remember? I mean, I always remember that line. It's obviously a, there's there's Hearts memorabilia, and there's a guy on on YouTube and Twitter and there's, I've seen, I've seen yeah, there's, a, there's, that, a, there's a Twitter account isn't there yeah Amaruso lets it run because when I, when, I, when I first saw that I actually I couldn't I didn't remember I'd ever uttered those words <laughs> and and, I, I've, and I'd seen the Twitter handle and I and I always wondered what that stemmed from and then and then at one point I, I happened to watch back the a damn goal and I realised where I'd where I'd come from That's because right. I'd never listened or watched it watched it back but it's quite it's quite amazing when somebody sort of grabs onto a phrase that you've used. Aye, Amaruso lets it run long long punt from uh, punt from Gilles Rousset and then mm. uh, Amaruso messes up. Nineteen ninety eight's a big year I want to talk to you about as well because that must be a, a real highlight for yourself. Again it's a World Cup Scotland versus France, the opening game live on television, of course, as well. I remember it vividly because, again, I don't want to age anyone, but it was my first day at high school and we got a let away early. It was an introduction, three days, and we got let away half yeah, day. Yeah, cheers, Ian. I know, thanks I'm sorry, the, I'm sorry. Thanks for the time reference. So, so I got set, we got sent away half day, which I just thought was the, the best thing in the world. But, I mean, when you look back, I mean, mm. I, you know, what was that? Jeez, oh, 1998. Incredible, you know, twenty-two years ago, and and Scotland, the last time we were at a World Cup finals, but that World Cup final there, Brazil, the world champions, Ronaldo and Co. Rivaldo, and all these guys, what what a thrill to be be calling that one. Oh, that was that was that was incredible. That was amazing. That that was one where you just you're sitting there, you're about to go near, and you sort of have to take a sort of mental snapshot, and you think, I am in the Stade de France. In the summer of '98, Scotland are about to play the legends of Brazil. Um, this is this is absolutely amazing. And of course, at one point in the game, um, when John Collins scored his penalty, it was one-one, and mm-hmm. you just looked at the scoreboard and you thought, "I wonder if we could just freeze it right there," because I think we would probably settle for that. But I always remember uh, being in a minibus on the way to that game, and uh, Craig Brown was obviously the manager, and. Um, you know what a great guy he was. I, I, so I phoned him up from the minibus as we were getting driven to, to the stadium, and to ask him what his team was and his formation and all that sort of stuff. Just that I knew what they were planning to do, and he had all the time in the world for me. You know, a lovely man, and gave me you know gave me fifteen minutes or whatever. Told me his team, told me what the set piece plans were and all the rest of it, so that. I could sort of know what I was talking about. And I just thought, God, he's going into one of the biggest matches of his life here, but he's got time to help me out, which was much appreciated. And it meant that I, you know, I felt much more confident about the commentary because I kind of knew what what Scotland were were planning to do. And uh, but for Tom Boyd's own goal, there uh, they would have got a, a precious point against against Brazil. But the whole atmosphere was just amazing. That that World Cup campaign as well. That was. It was typical Scotland. It was very, very nearly the Tom Boyd own goal, as you mentioned. You know, on another day we might have got a one-all draw against the world champions. 
the Norway game again. We we draw one all. Morocco. We think we've got a chance here, and we end up getting beat three 0 It was it was typical Scotland. But again, when you look back at that that World Cup, it's the last one, so it always holds that little bit of uh, significance. But but again, you were in Italy in 1990, France 98. I'm sure that these are these are moments that you'll treasure forever. Oh yeah, absolutely fantastic. I mean the. the the only World Cup that I was at subsequently was 2002 and yeah. unfortunately Scotland weren't at that one because they haven't qualified since 98 but um, that that was again that was another I was with the I was commentating as part of the BBC Network team um, in Japan Korea and just because I'd never been there and probably never would have gone had football not taken me there um, that, that was amazing I had three weeks in Korea and then a week in, in Japan covering the World Cup there so um, yeah, fun, fantastic. I mean, that that was a, an amazing experience, and but but it's just yeah, really sad that that since '98 Scotland haven't been part of it. Now, did I read correctly that one of the games you were out 2002, one of the games you were you were at? I'm not sure if you were covering or you were there, in what capacity? But England versus Brazil, <laughs> certainly was. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, that that was uh, because I, yeah, I'd done three weeks in Korea, and then they then they took me uh, BBC took me over to Japan for a week and I, I so I covered the England quarterfinal so I was I was in among what well, I was I was the reporter at the game and I, so I was in among the fans England fans so when I'm just trying to remember how the scoring went in that game England scored I think Michael Owen scored England's England scored first mm-hmm. so all the fans around me they're all on their feet going mental when he scored and I was sort of still sitting because it didn't have that effect on me and then I thought right for my own safety here I think I better get up and start clapping as well so I did and then the opposite happened when obviously Brazil equalised and then um, Ronaldinho beat David Seaman that was that game when, they, when he scored from about the halfway line and all the England fans were absolutely distraught and it didn't have a, that effect on me at the time either <laughs> <laughs> so so cut to the end of the game and the producer said right can you go out and interview some of the England fans and um, so I so I, I tried to put on my best sort of home counties accent um, so that they wouldn't think that I was deriving any pleasure from the result um, but clearly sort of failed miserably because uh, um, one of one of always I Oh, you'll be fanging love in this, then, won't you, mate? Because <laughs> he detected the sort of Scots coming through in my accent. Um, and one of the funny things about that was too that, that the BBC had planned this um, sort of um, evening reception thing th- for that night for all the all the people, you know, sort of production people, presentation, commentary, all the rest of it, who were in Japan at the time. And so part of that was a karaoke. And um, so Alan Hansen and myself got up and sang Flower of Scotland. Oh, brilliant. And uh, needless to say, on the back of England having been knocked out of the World Cup, um, it didn't seem to go down too well. <laughs> brilliant. That's what it's all about. Rob, 2014, you, you mentioned earlier, 14 years with the BBC. The landscape at that point is starting to change Sky Sports you know, start to get involved in Scottish football around in a serious way about 98. Satanta Sports come in in 2004 and you join them as their their lead anchor for the SPL coverage. Um, the move away from the BBC, a difficult one to make, but looking back on it, obviously the, the four or five years of Satanta running, something that you're, you, you know, you're proud to have, you've been the lead anchor for Satanta. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was, it was, 
it was a challenge I had to accept at the time um, because obviously BBC had, they'd had live Scottish football for two years and then it all sort of vanished Satanta bought it up and um, I went and worked for them yeah presenting for five years and you know it was it was it was completely different it was commercial uh, enterprise it was very non-BBC um, but it was basically follow the work uh, from my point of view mm-hmm. and um, I think what, what Satanta did was pretty impressive over five years um, the taxi drivers used to pick me up and say oh yeah you're working for that um, Sinatra uh, St Andrews you know they, they couldn't quite get their, their sort of tongue around the this new company that was covering Scottish football and by the end of five years, most of the taxi drivers had it. You know, most of the taxi, taxi yeah. drivers had subscribed to Sedanta, so, you know, it kind of won them over in that period, and, and the figures were pretty good. And it was just a shame that, that um, in English football-wise, it went badly wrong for uh, for Sedanta. And, um, you know, they made some schoolboy errors, I think it could be safely said as well. And, and it all sort of went down the tubes and, you know, went, went under from their UK operation went under and that, that was obviously a big blow so it'd been a, you know it'd been a great very enjoyable five years but um, you know it's a, had a pretty horrible ending You worked on Satanta with and indeed you have worked with them at some points in your career as well with another legendary football figure who will be instantly recognisable to listeners in the Highlands of course Terry Butcher you yeah. know very well Um Terry's a well, Terry's a fantastic guy, a big character. What was working like uh, working with Terry like for you? Yeah, fantastic. Loved him to bits. Um, knew him knew him well before that. Um, spent a lot of time with him. He no, nah, he was he was fantastic. He was he's dead funny. Terry, you know, he's got a great sense of humour. Um, he was always very well prepared as well he used to always bring like an attache case with him to games um, and I always used to feel a bit insubstantial alongside him because he'd done so much homework that I could possibly never have replicated but no he was he was a big personality um, lovely man great obviously a great figure in terms of, of Highland football as you say in terms of what he did him and his Cali Thistle um, but you know, the most important thing, lovely man. I mean, an absolute legend of a man who had every reason to be arrogant about what he'd achieved in football as a, as a player. But that never really came through at all. He was always, you know, just a, a joy to be with. And, um, yeah, some of those programmes were, you know, it was Terry Butcher, maybe John Hartson alongside him as well. And it was, it was a good, they were a good combination. Good sociable guy as well. He's a, he's a fun guy to socialise with. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, the the talking didn't stop when the program went off off air. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, he's a bit of a he's a he's a legend. Um, a lot of time for for Terry and John Hartson too is a a very pleasant guy. So you know, as you say, there it was a good mix, uh, two good characters, and of course you've got to strike that fine balance as we all well know with uh, Rangers and Celtic connection. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some, uh, I think sometimes people get a bit carried away with that, but yeah, mo- most people, most of the football producers on on telly look to sort of uh, balance it up if they can, keep everybody happy. Are we the same here? We've got to have 
a Cali Thistle guest and a Ross County guest the week after. You've got to strike a fine balance with the exact same, not to the same uh, hostility as, as down the road, right enough. But um, you're you're back at the BBC and you have been now for for some time. Um, Rob still, in, I mean, you're obviously now in, involved with BT Sport as well. Um, still enjoying what you're doing. You, oh, it sounds like you are um, on air anyway. Still in, still enjoying the. The, the thrust, the cut and thrust of, of Scottish football on a, a weekly basis. Yeah, I can go, go to plenty of them in the course of a season, so so that's great. Um, you know, Scottish football could be in a better place, there's no doubt about it. Um, that would be a disappointment about where Scottish football has got to. Uh, when you think back to the Graham Souness revelation at, at Rangers, when they were signing some of the best players in Britain... Uh, some of the best players in Europe um, even more recently when Martin O'Neill was at Henrik Larsson and Sutton and Hartson and Petrov and Lennon and all these people at Celtic, you know really high profile players um, we've, we've gone a long way downhill in terms of the, the players that, that Scottish football can attract now um, that's disappointing. Scots, you know, Scottish football's profile has gone down. Um, the the TV money is, in the great scheme of things, uh, a drop in the ocean. Um, so you know, it, it would be nice to think that that uh, that Scottish football could occupy a, a higher sort of level in the game. But you know, that doesn't stop people still going out to watch it in big numbers. You know, per capita. You know, we've still got good crowds watching there's a real passion for for Scottish football um, and I still love it we always try and speak to the players when they come on and managers about teammates they've had over the years you've had a lot of teammates and some of the most recognisable uh, voices in, in Scottish football you know some tremendous uh, characters Dougie Donnelly uh, Chick Young uh, Richard Gordon, etc. Uh, some good teammates you've had along the way, working alongside. Uh, what's it? What's it like working with? As I say, some of these guys I've just mentioned. You know, some again themselves, big characters and, and legends, if you like, in broadcasting in Scottish football circles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were to ask me who my favourite person that I've ever worked with in in uh, sports broadcasting, that would be a difficult difficult one to answer. Um, I mean, Ali McCoist is obviously a, a great one to work alongside. I've done a lot of commentaries. Um, you know, I've done, I guess, TV studios with him going further back, but more recently uh, covering Rangers in the Europa League with him. And, um, you know, he's just a great laugh. And, and um, you know, we bounce off each other. And it's, you know, sometimes you have to actually remind yourself, that you're on television and you're not sort of standing at the bar watching the game with a pint in your hand, you know, because it sometimes feels a bit too relaxed. Um, but but it's great, and I think and and that's the way it should be. I think I, I think that's what that's what I want to hear. Uh, I want to hear people relaxed and seeing what they think and um, reflecting the game they're watching. Uh, I think that that's what I want. I don't, I don't want somebody to be too prepared and planned and scripted I think I want it to all unfold before my eyes before my ears when I'm watching and, and listening and um, so to be involved in that and working alongside some really great people yeah I mean it, it, it's been fantastic and uh, I'm still loving what I do now as much as I ever have 
you mentioned there the, the kind of relaxed atmosphere. I suppose that's why open all mics, for example, on a Saturday afternoon on, on Sports Sound is so popular. You know, it's it's like you're sitting you might be sitting in the house, you might be sitting in your car, but it's like you're at you know, it's like you're sitting with seven, eight of your mates talking football, listening to football, watching football, you know that that's why that programme's so successful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's um it can be organised chaos at times, um, <laughs> but um, so yeah, I think it's a it's been a great format that that uh, and it's you know and and I guess people's listening habits have changed as well because um, when you think that you know I, I don't, you know who who wants to listen to ninety minutes of a match anymore on the radio? I'm not sure. You know, maybe a big match, maybe a really important match, a cup final, whatever, a big European game, but. On a Saturday afternoon, I think if I if, if I wasn't working, open all mics would be what I would want to listen to yeah. because I would feel that I was getting everything and I was finding about finding out about all the goals as they fly in. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I think it's an exciting an exciting format. It sometimes, I mean, it does it does definitely um, sometimes you know veer towards shambles. It can be on a bad day, it can be a shambles, but but I think you run that risk when you you know when you're doing it that way and most of the time it's just an exciting listen yeah I think Richard Gordon does a tremendous job as a, a choir master I think my favourite all time open on mics moment though bless him because I, I really actually do do like him on air is Derek Ferguson I think he was at a game in the, the championship and he he said that someone decapitated <laughs> one someone else and of course yes. Richard Gordon then had to explain to him what decapitate meant but you know He's just really excited and 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 gets carried away sometimes. Yeah, but, he does. But that's 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 human nature, and that's um, you know people make mistakes, and and that's that's what we love about, I yeah. suppose, Scottish football. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think Derek Ferguson's really natural, and I think and I think you just want to want people to be as they are. You don't want them to try and be something they're not. Um, and yeah, I mean, and and Scottish football has got an attraction all of its own, and and the, the numbers that, that go to watch it tell you that it is still massively popular. But mm-hmm. you know, it just it would be it would be good if our teams, you know, were a, were a bit better in European terms yeah. on a regular basis, and if the national team sort of got to a, a respectable level as well. I think we, you know, I think the people that watch football in Scotland deserve a little bit better. Uh, and hopefully we can maybe climb a couple of rungs up the ladder when we're back playing the game again. Yeah, fingers crossed that happens soon. Rob, thank you very much for your time this evening. Um, it's been gra- great to chat to a, a Highland broadcasting legend, someone who hails from Invergordon, who's reached the very top of his game. And you mentioned there World Cups and major tournaments. You've you, you've certainly looked at you've done a lot. It's been great to to speak to you, Rob. And, and thanks Lovely again to speak for your to time. You too, yeah. Perfect. All the best. Good talking to you. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to Highland Football Weekly. Before you go, one small favour. If you wouldn't mind telling a friend about this podcast, a friend who would like football and, of course, football in the Highlands, if you're on social media, please like and share. And if you're on iTunes, please leave a comment as well. Just realise that's more than one small favour, but you get the gist. See you next week.